Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slow Burn Media, an evergreen podcast, presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. His group of followers broke from the church and became known as the Lindgren Commune, operating out of the farmhouse and barn along Route 6. I would say uh, it was very much cult-like. He saw himself as the spiritual leader. Dennis and Cheryl Avery and their three daughters were among his followers. They were a family that, that needed somebody to kind of tell them what to do and when to do it, and it, it seemed, and uh, I think Jeff. Jeff fulfilled that. One body at a time, slowly, paramedics and firemen carried the five out of the barn tonight. It took about eight hours for local police and federal agents to dig through the floor of the barn and exhume the bodies. It's total mud, flood, uh, clay. Police aren't saying how they were killed, but the killer had gagged and bound the victims with electrical duct tape. They were then buried under a layer of clay, a layer of stone, and a layer of dirt. Police believe the family was killed and buried in April of 1989. For a year and nine months, the Kirtland Police Department has been investigating several families who lived together in this house, including the Averys and Jeff Lundgren's family. Police believe Lundgren is the leader of a religious cult responsible for the killings. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. I hope everyone has had a great week, and on this week's episode, we are going to conclude our look into the Kirtland cult killings and the murder of the Avery family. I'm going to explore the reasons for this family's execution and what kind of power Jeffrey Lundgren had over his followers. I have questions about what leads people to fall into the crosshairs of a guy like Jeffrey Lundgren. Why did the cult turn on this particular family? How was the group able to keep these murders a secret for almost eight months before someone came forward? Amanda Garrett and Maggie Martin from the Cleveland Plain Dealer did a great job covering this case in their 10-year anniversary article, and I will be quoting some of that article in this episode as well as the opinions from the Ohio Supreme Court, the Associated Press, and Reuters. In December 1989, it was disgruntled cult member Larry Keith Johnson who went to authorities in Kansas City, Missouri. According to court documents, Johnson was angry with his wife, Catherine, because she had been selected by Lundgren to become his second wife in the polygamist tradition. Johnson even drew a map of the barn showing where the bodies were buried, and this was according to the News Herald. The Associated Press also reported that the Avery's bodies were discovered the first week of January 1990, setting off a nationwide manhunt for Lundgren and his remaining followers. As a refresher, and according to the Ohio Supreme Court, Lundgren was born in Missouri and raised in the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, RLDS. While attending college, Lundgren met and married his wife, Alice. Now, of course, he was unsuccessful in school, and therefore Lundgren joined the Navy. 
He served in the Vietnam War in the early 1970s. Now, he was honorably discharged in 1974. Again, he settled in San Diego originally, and then he unsuccessfully held a series of hospital maintenance and other jobs in Missouri. Lundgren's religious beliefs, although the RLDS headquartered in Independence, Missouri, differs from the Utah-based Mormon Church, both religions trace their origins to the prophet Joseph Smith Jr., who published the Book of Mormon in 1830. And again, during the 1830s, Smith moved to Kirtland, Ohio, and built the Kirtland Temple, which is now managed by the RLDS. And it was in the summer of 1984 when Lundgren and his family moved from Missouri to Kirtland so that Lundgren could serve as a senior temple guide, a job that had no pay, but did include family lodging. Lundgren initially attracted favorable attention in his Sunday school classes and as a guide. William Russell, a religion professor at an RLDS college, testified that Lundgren knew scripture exceptionally well, especially the Book of Mormon, and followed the chiastic method of scripture interpretation, which involves searching text for recurring patterns. However, Lundgren did not understand the Bible's historical context and tended to concentrate on his esoteric method. Now, Lundgren generally fit within the traditions of the RLDS faith in that he described visions, direct spiritual experiences, and God speaking directly to prophets. Over the next three years, Lundgren served as a temple guide and taught classes on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Despite the church's direction to turn over all money received from temple visitors to the church, Lundgren solicited and kept contributions received from visitors. Temple contributions dropped dramatically, and the temple bookstore also suffered fund shortages. Again, the church eventually removed Lundgren as a religion teacher, and in October 1987, he was actually fired as a temple guide and evicted from the place where he lived. Here is a basic layout of Lundgren's cult. Murderpedia.com, yes, it is a website, and it's got a lot of interesting information on it, has a very succinct summary of what the cult's beliefs were built upon. So I'm going to read some of the passages from their website. Quote, Lundgren and about two dozen followers had broken away from the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now called the Community of Christ, a small church that splintered from the mainstream Mormon church. His group believed doomsday was near. Reports state from 1985 on, Lundgren had a certain charisma that was able to get people to think he was more than just a man. And again, this was probably because he was very educated about religion, and this became an attractive element as he was building a group of people who would eventually become his followers. Now, he was able to convince Kevin Curry and Sharon Blunchley to move in with the family, as did Richard Brand, Daniel Kraft, Gregory Winship, and Debbie Oliveras eventually came in April 1988. In a disturbing aspect of their life, these people were living in Lundgren's home, and they would call him dad, and they contributed their paychecks and other money for common group expenses. Two couples, Ron and Susan Luff, 
and Dennis and Tanya Patrick also contributed money but did not live with Lundgrens. In the spring of 1987, the Avery family moved from Missouri to follow Lundgren's teaching. Again, the Avery family included Dennis, who was 49, Cheryl, 46, daughters Trina, age 15, Rebecca, 13, and Karen, 7. Unlucky name. Lundgren was eventually evicted, as I said before, and again, they moved to a rented farmhouse. And this is where Lundgren would proceed his indoctrination of his people. He did this by, quote, stressing the importance of the Kirtland Temple. According to Lundgren, his followers had to recapture the temple. An earthquake would elevate it, and Christ would return and establish Zion. Lundgren also spoke of his conversations with God and his visions. He discussed the Book of Revelations and the Book of Mormon and referred to pruning the vineyard and the need to kill 10 followers before Zion could be created. As I mentioned in the first episode, it was around this time that the men in the group started dressing like paramilitary militiamen, basically, and they were training to take over the temple. And again, Lundgren picked May 3rd of all days, 1988, which just so happened to be his birthday, it must be a cult leader thing, as the day to recapture the temple, but later decided it was not time yet. The Avery's family was, quote, on the fringe of the group and were invited to only a few of Lundgren's prayer meetings. By October 1988, the RLDS church had excommunicated Lundgren. In early 1989, Lundgren was stressing the need for his followers to go on a wilderness trip before Zion would be possible. Lundgren may have been losing his grip on his followers because both Kevin Curry and another follower, Shar Olson, left the group, but he replaced them with Catherine and one Larry Johnson. From 1988 to 1989, the group became more and more radical. Lundgren would tell his followers they would need to begin preparing for the end times. He also convinced his followers the group would soon elevate to Zion again, as I mentioned before, if they committed a certain act for him. According to this Ohio Supreme Court, it was in April 1989, at Lundgren's direction, the group began preparing for their wilderness trip. Those who worked left their jobs and bought provisions. Lundgren encouraged all of the followers to use up any of their available credit cards. All the group members, including the Averys, gathered their worldly possessions. Around April 12th, two or three of the followers secretly began digging a six-by-seven-foot pit in the dirt floor of Lundgren's barn. Lundgren told Cheryl Avery to write and tell her family that they were going to Wyoming. Then Lundgren invited the Averys to dinner. And again, in the first episode, we talked about how they had made it clear that they were going to Wyoming. Well, apparently that was actually staged by one cult leader. On April 17, 1989, Dennis, Cheryl, and their three daughters ate at the Lundgren farmhouse. It was after dinner, Lundgren went out to the barn with his son, Damon, as well as four followers. That would be Brand, Kraft, Winship, and his right-hand man, Ron Luff. The Avery stayed in the house with the women and children. 
At Lundgren's direction, Luffy individually led each family member out to the barn, where each was bound and gagged by the men. After the men placed each Avery family member into the pit, Lundgren shot each person two or three times with a 45 caliber semi-automatic weapon. The men then filled the pit with dirt and stones. Afterwards, Lundgren and the others went back into the farmhouse and held a prayer meeting. Lundgren killed the Avery family both because of a message he felt he got from God and because he saw the family as disloyal for not pooling their finances into a common church fund. Now, the thought of these followers returning to the scene of the crime is just beyond disturbing, but just goes to show you how much control Lundgren had over these people. In an extreme example of tragic irony, the day after the murders, police officers and FBI agents visited the Lundgren farm to investigate reports about the planned temple assault. If they would have come any other day before the 17th, there is a chance, I'm not saying it's a big chance, but there is a chance that the Avery family may still be alive. Everyone interviewed said they were at the farm voluntarily and denied knowing anything about any plans to assault the temple. So the FBI left without arresting anyone. And like any smart cult, this was a sign for the group to leave town. So the group slipped away to begin their wilderness trip. Mountain campsites near Davis, West Virginia, were picked by Lundgren, and the group lived in tents through October 1989. In order to maintain the cult's finances, some of the women followers took jobs while in West Virginia, and the men continued their paramilitary exercises. In a classic cult leader move, Lundgren wanted a new wife and chose Tanya Patrick. I don't have much detail about what went wrong, but apparently that arrangement did not work out. And it was when Lundgren went to Katherine Johnson and wanted to make her his second wife that eh, he kind of made the wrong decision. And the reason being is that leader's choice upset Catherine's husband, Larry, and contributed to the group's dissension. So by October 1989, Lundgren and his family and about 10 of those followers moved to Missouri. And after living in tents for months, major cracks began to form. And by the end of December 1989, Larry Johnson was so sick of it, he finally contacted federal authorities and told him about the murders. It was on January 3rd, 1990, when Kirtland police began digging out the pit in the barn and found Dennis Avery's body. Police uncovered the other Avery family members' bodies the following day. And as I said before, Lundgren had shot Dennis twice in the back and Cheryl three times in the torso. This gets a little graphic. He shot Trina once in the head and twice in the body, Rebecca in the back and thigh, and Karen in the head and chest. The coroner found silver duct tape wrapped around the victim's heads, hands, and feet. The origin of the two damaged bullets found at the scene was unknown, but police discovered that a 45 caliber semi-automatic weapon belonging to Lundgren had been fired and basically was the the murder weapon. It is believed that 
Lundgren had bought the weapon with Avery's credit card in 1987 and sold it in West Virginia in October 1989. It didn't take long for authorities to track down the cult leader and his wife after uncovering the crimes. It was actually only four days that this manhunt lasted. And it was on January 7th, 1990, when federal investigators arrested Jeffrey Lundgren and his wife in San Diego, California. They would be extradited back to Cleveland to face murder charges. Lundgren's wife and son, along with 10 other cult members, were indicted on charges related to the murder of the five members of the Avery family, according to the News Herald. Most would eventually plead guilty and cooperate with the prosecution in exchange for lighter sentences. NBC News reported that at the trial, Lundgren was unrepentant and resolute in his convictions, telling the jury, quote, It's not a figment of my imagination that I can, in fact, talk to God. And I am a prophet of God. And I am even more than a prophet. On August 29th, after deliberating for just two hours, the jury found Lundgren guilty on five counts, each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. Weeks later, he would be sentenced to death. In addition to Jeffrey Lundgren, his wife, Alice, and son Damon would also be sentenced to life in prison on aggravated murder and kidnapping charges, as would Ronald Luff and Daniel Kraft, because they were in the barn when the Averys were shot dead. Richard Brand and Greg Winship pleaded guilty and were paroled in 2010 after spending nearly 20 years behind bars. As were cult members Sharon Bletchley, Susan Luff, and Deborah Oliveras. Catherine Johnson was sentenced to a year in prison after pleading guilty to obstruction and was released in 1991. So, just to give you a quick rundown of these accomplices, you had Alice Lundgren... She had five counts of murder, five counts of kidnapping. She was sentenced to 150 years to life. Damon Lundgren, aggravated murder, four counts. Kidnapping, four counts, 120 years to life. Ronald Luff, aggravated murder, five counts. Kidnapping, five counts, 170 years to life. Daniel Kraft, 50 years to life. Gregory Winship, 15 years to life. Richard Brand, 15 years to life. Sharon Bletchley, 7 to 25 years. Deborah Oliveras, 7 to 25 years. Susan Luff, 7 to 25 years. As I said, Katherine Johnson, 1 year. Dennis Patrick, 18 months. Tanya Patrick, 18 months. These people were really bad people, so to think that they didn't get you know, life sentences along the lines of brand it's a tough one to say but as i mentioned at the beginning of this episode the duo of amanda garrett and maggie martin wrote an incredible article called 10 years later kirtland cult members break their silence in the cleveland plain dealer on april 11 1999 and they wrote quote standing in the dim light of the barn that April evening, Ron Luff could see the glint of his preacher's pistol amid the shadows of the muddy pit. Even before Jeffrey Lundgren cocked the gun's hammer, Luff knew what was going to happen. Lundgren was going to shoot and kill five members of his congregation, a mother, 
and father and their three school-age daughters, sacrificing them in the name of the Lord. The massacre was unavoidable, Luff thought, and though he could have tried, he did nothing to intervene in what would come to be known as the Kirtland cult slang. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. We may have moved past 2020, but 2021 is still looking fairly grim. But today I'm happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. Because if there's anything holding you back or interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient because in this current state that we live in, it just has to be. So now you can get help on your own time at at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule a secure video or phone session, or you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if for whatever reason you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. So if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, stress, anger, relationship issues, heck, you're not getting a good night's sleep, or have LGBT matters, or just low self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The thing I like the most is it's actually affordable. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and then you get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who. Quote, I've been through that scenario a hundred times or more, Luff said during a recent prison interview with the Martin and Garrett duo. I could have put them in a car and taken off, but that was not even a consideration. It wasn't even a viable option. And until recently, and this is in the article, none of the cult members had spoken. It was basically silence for 10 years. So Garrett and Mart wrote, as the 10th anniversary on April 17th draws near, several members have broken their silence, offering for the first time, a glimpse into the worlds they shattered, both then and now. Their reflections, along with those of police, prosecutors, and others wrapped up in Lundgren's convoluted quest for Zion, reveal an often tragic tale that continues long after the murders. The duo goes on to say, while intense and prolonged publicity surrounding the case made several political, clerical, and church careers, the Kirtland cult broke many more lives. As I mentioned in the first episode, the destruction of the Lundgren family 
was left behind and Kirtland was sprawling. And they write, Out of the ruins, some have found ways to forgive both themselves and cult members for what happened. Others have tried to move on, realizing there may be no answers to the questions that linger. Quote, I still don't know what happened, says Susan Luff, Ron Luff's estranged wife. Something went terribly wrong. Kirtland may be a semi-rural village, home to just 6,000 residents, but to members of the RLDS church, the community is a sort of mecca and a historic destination that they travel hundreds of miles to visit, so they might reconnect with the birthplace of their faith. Martin Garrett go on to write, Most Kirtland residents didn't notice the pilgrimage, or at least they didn't until it was found itself at the center stage in a drama built around murder, power, and religious fervor. Quote, We were supposed to help the hungry. We were supposed to help the poor, recalls Susan Luff, sitting on a sun porch at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville, a sprawling stone and brick campus ringed with coils and barbed wire northwest of Columbus. Quote, of course none of that happened. Instead, cult members served only Jeffrey Lundgren, who wanted all their money, and time and again put a gun to their heads if they complained. In Martin and Garrett's deep dive, they give a great amount of detail about the day-to-day lives of the members. Reading from their article, by day, most of Lundgren's followers worked routine jobs. One was a nurse at a Cleveland hospital. Another worked for the Mentor City Engineer's Office. And a third worked for the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. When work ended, they all gathered at Lundgren's rented farmhouse for scripture studies. Lundgren, who often wore military fatigues and kept a rifle within reach, always a good sign, sometimes preached into the wee hours of the morning. Lundgren fed his group a hybrid mix of biblical and Mormon scriptures, all dissected and interpreted to meet his whims. According to cult members, nearly anything could be a sin, from adding too much garlic to a meal, as one Dennis Avery did, keeping money for yourself, again Dennis Avery. From the beginning, Lundgren promised his followers he would take them to see God. To make the journey, he said, the cult first had to seize the Kirtland Temple and kill anyone who tried to stop them. Later, however, as I mentioned, Lundgren revised that plan and said the sacrifice of the Avery family would be enough to reach their goal. Since going to prison, none of the cult members had shared their stories about those days, but Susan and Ron Luff had agreed late last month, again, this is in the article, to talk about the killings and the aftermath. They live in prisons more than 100 miles apart, haven't communicated since 1992, and are seeking a divorce. Both now denounce Lundgren as manipulative and deluded, but each has found a very different way of coping with the past and the future. Where Ron Luff has taken solace in leaving the church and sinking himself into mainstream Christianity, his estranged wife has found comfort in the realm of self-help books and therapy. Quote, I'm doing everything I can to give back to society. With her clean, scrubbed face and khaki trousers, Susan Luff looks and sounds more like a suburban housewife than a prison inmate. When she's not thinking about her two children, Matthew, now 17, and Amy, 14, praying or helping fellow inmates boost their self-esteem, 
She's making crafts for the needy, including hundreds of stuffed rabbits out of washcloths. Quote, I'm doing everything I can to give back to society, Luff said. As strange as it may seem now, she said helping others had always been her intent. Never, Luff said, did she mean to hurt anyone. Yet, ten years ago, she and the other women in the cult entertained the Avery's children in a farmhouse near the barn while their parents were being killed. Later, the women let the men in the cult lead Rebecca, Trina, and Karen, Avery, out to their deaths as well. Again, they just did an incredible job researching this article, and so kudos to the plane dealer. Wish you still were what you were, but times are changing. And again, as I mentioned before, the bodies were unearthed in early January, and authorities learned of the slains from that tipster, one Larry Johnson. Now, in the days after the murders, Luff fled with the rest of the cult members and was later arrested following that short nationwide manhunt. I didn't understand any of it, Susan Luff says. Even now, a decade later, Luff says she still doesn't know the particulars about the slains or the inner workings of the cult. In the aftermath of the arrests, while investigators, prosecutors, and other cult members were asking what happened and why, Luff said she asked only one question. Quote, who am I? And like any good cult leader, he had a right-hand man. And that was, of course, one Ron Luff. Now, this guy, he was in the thick of it, as Martin writes. And on the night of the murders, he not only helped lure the Avery family into the barn, in one of the most sickening images, he carried the youngest girl, Karen, on his shoulders to meet her death. It was only after his arrest and several meetings with cult deprogrammers that the horror of that night became clear. It was after meeting with cult experts before his trial, he slowly realized that everything he thought he knew about God, scriptures, and to some extent himself was wrong. Martin and Garrett go on to say, the only thing certain about Jeffrey Lundgren is that he had a clear desire to live off other people. Luff said he wanted to have people around him who would idolize him as a god and support him as one. The Avery family did both. In a disturbing detail from the fantastic article, it turns out even before the Averys moved from their Missouri home to join Lundgren, other members of the cult knew they were targeted for death. I spoke about the dissatisfaction Lundgren had with Dennis Avery and his family in part one, but no one knows exactly why the family was an early target. If you go off what Lundgren said during his trial, he had a vision indicating that God wanted the family sacrificed. But former cult members and those who have studied the group say it's more likely the Averys were killed because they posed some threat to Lundgren. In the first episode, I talked about the Averys selling their home in Missouri. Even though Dennis gave most of that money to Jeffrey Lundgren, he kept some of it for his family, like any smart person would do. But that would be something that Lundgren would later call sinful. And another thing that we talked about in the previous show was that Lundgren felt that Cheryl Avery was too independent and the children were just undisciplined. And those were also sins, 
according to Lundgren. Garrett and Martin's article goes on to say, Luff recognizes that the Averys were the ultimate victims in Lundgren's scheme. He told the reporters the family could have just as easily ended up in his place, helping to kill others. After all, Luff said, the Averys believed everything that Lundgren preached too. They turned most of their life savings over, bought guns for the group, and hung on Lundgren's every word. But in the end, Luff said, the Averys had to be killed because they had nothing left to give. Quote, Jeff had exhausted them as a resource, Luff said. As the article goes on, the reporters discuss the people involved in the investigation and where they ended up. One assistant Lake County prosecutor was able to make a book deal and cash in. And then there was prosecutor Steve Latourette, who became a U.S. representative. And he said, quote, when this case came real, it was a nightmare from the start to finish. You had strange twists in the case that were unplanned, but we dealt with them. His success, Latourette said, not only put Jeffrey Lundgren on death row, but helped propel him to Congress. Hundreds of miles away in Independence, Missouri, sits another man whose career was launched by the case. That is Dale Luffman, former president of the Kirtland stake of the reorganized church and a main player from part one of this two-part series. And he has since risen to the position of apostle, a role he equates to that of a cardinal in the Catholic church. Quote, I think events like this make or break you. I was lucky. I came to realize the church was as much a victim as the Averys, Luffman said. The RLDS is not the demon here. Some people in the name of God do a lot of crazy things. Jeff used religion for all the wrong reasons. Police Chief Dennis Yarborough died in 1998, but his wife Gail told the paper the investigation was something that he was obsessed with, and both because he was the town's cop and because the family belonged to the reorganized church. Former assistant Lake County prosecutors Karen Lawson and Sandra Dre have gained a conviction in the case of Alice Lundgren. Lawson said she asked to be assigned to this case. Quote, I perceived that she would be part of the inner circle of the cult, and therefore it would be one of the most interesting cases. And it turned out it was one of the most difficult cases because Alice was not at the farm when the murders happened. She had gone shopping. Lawson went on to work in private practice. Dre also went into private practice and said she occasionally thinks about the case. Again, this is a deep, deep dive by Garrett and Martin, so kudos to them for being able to hash out this crazy story. And Dre was a good friend of Yarborough's and said that the chief who passed away in 1998 did not get enough credit for the work on the case. Quote, he helped us understand it he was able to explain the concepts and perceptions so we weren't just dealing with the supposed crazies. He explained some of the methods to their madness. And when you have a case as complicated and sprawling as the cult killings, you're going to have members who cut deals, as I mentioned, for less time. And there's, all gonna be, there's also going to be people who've served out their sentence. 
the Ohio Department of Corrections Parole Board released Richard Brand on March 29th from his 15 years to life sentence in the case. And he was the latest of four going free after the 1994 convictions. These guys were all being released. Gregory Winship, Susan Luff, Deborah Oliveras, and Sharon Bletchley were all going to be paroled in one year, within a year. And the parole board webpage lists Brand to be supervised for five years in an interstate compact between authorities. After being refused a release three times, Brand won parole the fourth time after victims declined to protest his release. Working on the Lake County case with then-prosecutor Stephen Latourette, Brand testified against all three Lundgrens and Luff. The Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction officials have confirmed that inmate Jeffrey Lundgren will be executed on Tuesday, October 24, 2006, at 10 a.m. The execution would take place at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility located in Lucasville, Ohio. The Ohio Revised Code mandates lethal injection as the manner of execution. From a Reuters article, quote, The state of Ohio on Tuesday executed a cult leader who killed a family of five, a crime he said God had commanded him to carry out. Jeffrey Lundgren, 56, was pronounced dead at 10.26 a.m. Eastern, according to, or following an injection of lethal chemicals at the Southern Ohio Correctional Center in Lucasville. For my last words, I'd like to profess my love for God, my family, my children, and my beloved wife. I am because you are. And that was what Lundgren said before he was executed. And again, his group believed doomsday was near. And the prosecutors said Lundgren killed the Avery family both because of a message he felt he got from God and because he saw the family as disloyal for not pooling their finances into that common church fund. Lundgren's last meal of choice on Monday night before his execution was turkey, potatoes, and gravy with a salad and pumpkin pie. Now, he was the 1,050th person executed in the United States since 1976 when the country restored capital punishment. He was the 5th in Ohio in the year 2006 and the 24th in the state since 1999. While Jeffrey Lundgren is six feet under, his wife, Alice, is still serving 150 years to life. His son, Damon, 120 years to life and Luff, 170 years to life. Unfortunately, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And in 2010, one of Lundgren's son was arrested for violently abusing his three-month-old baby. He was accused of throwing the child across the room, fracturing his skull. Luckily, the baby was expected to survive. Now that 30 years have passed and Jeffrey Lundgren has been executed and a lot of members have served their time and the ones most responsible are still in jail, I am very hopeful that the families and the people connected to the Averys 
as well as the communities impacted by this tragedy are healing. Because when you have a case like this, it really takes a, a lot out of the community and it takes a lot to rehab your image. So I hope for the city that they are moving forward because Kirtland's a beautiful town, a beautiful village, and it is something that should not be known for something so tragic. I really just hope that the people who were close to the Avery family in Missouri and their relatives have been able to process this because this is an unusual and tragic crime. And it's probably the first cult killing since Jim Jones in 1989. Of course, we've had Heaven's Gate since then, and there's been a couple of others as well. But this was certainly one that caught the attention of the national press as well as the international press. So it's very wild that a small rural village of 6,000 people would be associated with such a terrible, terrible event. So again, Kirtland, your great village, great city. Everybody hopes that you are known for better things than the cult slayings of 1990. So there you have it, the Kirtland cult killings tragic and totally avoidable thank you guys so much for tuning in this week and next week look for a special episode it will be a crossover episode with a new true crime show from evergreen podcasts called crime capsule and i will have the host benjamin morris as my guest to discuss some of the crimes that he will be discussing on Crime Capsule. It's going to be very entertaining. As you know, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday. If you enjoy this podcast, as well as the other shows that I produce, you can help support Slow Burn Media by using my PayPal username at WilliamHuffman3. Or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. Every contribution, big or small, helps keep these slow burn podcasts running. You can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to your favorite shows. Those five stars do help keep the important cases that I cover, such as all the unsolved cases that I've covered, in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. You never know what you're going to get. Thank you so much again for listening. And until next time, have a great Thanksgiving. And as always, be healthy and stay safe. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3am, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.